This uh, chant is a, a way of beginning a, a, a Dhamma talk, and from the tradition that I come from, it's a it's a, a way of signaling to myself and yourselves that this is a not just kind of a time for chit chat. And so uh, it's a very special situation. People have carved out time on a very glorious day and bringing their energy, their attention, their time here and to use this opportunity for waking up. So to signal a Dhamma talk is an indication for me that this is an opportunity to reflect in a way that supports awakening. It's not, uh, it's not an opportunity for me to use this as a soapbox for my opinions and views and ideas about how I think the world should be. But to really contemplate and reflect on, uh, on what supports awakening. And likewise for yourselves. Yeah? Is that better? Yeah, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Please signal if there's a time you can't hear me. Thank you, Jerry. So, um, for yourselves, when you hear that chanting, when you are entering into a situation where there's a Dhamma talk, then it's also an indication, it's, it's, an, it's an opportunity to listen in a very particular way. So, ideally, in a Dhamma talk, 90% of your attention should be resting internally in your body sense, and 10% of your attention should be attending to what it is that the speaker is saying. And the reason for that is is that when you are attending in that way, then you know when something you hear resonates is true. Your body relaxes and it responds. And when something doesn't make sense or you don't follow or you don't, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't work for you, then it's it's just an opportunity to just let it go, not to take it on board. But what is really important in a situation like this is is that if you ever hear something, I make the invitation, if I'm speaking and you hear me say something that goes against your deepest understanding of what the truth is, then it's helpful not to just let it go, but to find a way of coming and talking to me about it. And probably it would be more useful on me not to do it exactly at the moment that I'm talking. uh, another time to come back and talk with me and, and let me know what it is that I've said and your own understanding. And in this way, what we do is we, we create a relationship of mutual respect where we are all interested in waking up. And I will do my bit, but it requires you to be able to do your bit in order to support this situation. I wanted to um, talk a little bit about this theme of Buddhism in the body and give the Dhamma talk now because I know that there's at least one person who needs to leave at the mealtime for other things that are happening. And then we will continue in the afternoon with, um, I'd like to offer after the meal, uh, maybe 40 minutes of Qigong exercise 
for people uh, if they would like to join we could do it underneath the lovely tree that's outside uh, and if that's not something that you feel uh, a kinship with or feels that it's supportive to your practice we can just continue with the walking meditation and then continue on with the day um, the theme of Buddhism in the body um, As I was saying in the beginning this morning, it's not a trivial topic. And for my own practice, the, the way my own personal experience started was I started young. I started when I was 17. And I kind of dove in, you know, uh, into the deep end and started doing intensive retreats at the, the very beginning and had a very a strong sense of a very committed practice. At least that was my internal sense. You know, I don't know what the teachers around had to, had to say about it, but that was my own sense. And after, I don't know, 20 years or so, I ended up in a uh, forest hermitage in Australia, and I was living in a very tiny little uh, hut, which is, the, which is the model of a forest hermitage, is that there's a meditation hall and a place where the food is shared, and then individuals live in small little huts in, in, a, in a very natural setting. And the model of the forest hermitage, or the model of the forest monastery, is based on a close proximity of nature as a way that nature can help support and mirror the various different movements of the mind. And I went there after about 10 years of being a nun and about 20 years of meditation. And after all that time, I, I thought I knew a thing or two. And I was really impressed with how, um, how much unfolded for me there that was new. And part of that was because being in the bush in that kind of a way, I started to come into a different relationship with my own body. And uh, I was surprised. You know, because, you know, I was born in California and I thought, well, you know, anybody who comes from California has an open, progressive kind of attitude about all kinds of things. And so I didn't have a deep inquiry into my own relationship with my own body sense. But living in this forest hermitage, it was so beautiful. It was so exquisitely beautiful. You know, there were all kinds of birds and there were trees and, and um, wallabies and goannas and uh, I mean it was just and they were everywhere and they were very um, part of my the immediacy of what I was experiencing in the day and even though my hut was tiny I mean we don't what, what's tiny I, I mean we don't even have maybe three three shelves maybe four shelves long and um, about that wide you know from here to there so it was like, you know, probably not what most American people would consider a wonderful place to live. And I was just overjoyed with how wonderful this was for me. It had everything that I needed. There was a small place to, to rest, and there was a place for me to sit, and I had a shrine, and I had a place to put my clothes, and, and what else do you need? It was enough. So this, this, this meditation hall um, uh, was a beautiful environment where the community would gather and it was in a national forest and it was a couple hours away from Sydney and so in order to get there you had to drive not only a long distance but a very windy road and the last 
last 15 miles was on a, a dirt road that would get very rutted and it would vibrate. Uh, you know, you kind of feel like your bones were separated from your ligaments when you'd make the journey. And so it wasn't that often we would go in and out. So it was really very much a sense of being immersed in a wilderness area. And that one national park was surrounded by three other national parks. And so there was huge, like a million acres of unbroken wilderness that I was in the middle of, and I felt it. It was really lovely. So one of the things about this, this area was they had these angophora trees, and angophora trees a little bit look like eucalyptus, but somebody who's a biologist or a botanist knows that there's a difference between them. And they are very um, sensuous. They've got red bark, and they've got lumps, and the, their, their sap is red, like blood. And it didn't take a lot of imagination to see bodies in the, in the trunks of these trees. You know, it's what they look like. And, you know, I couldn't, it was like, and they looked like women, like naked women, you know. And, and, and they were just, they were just glorious. And, and I was walking around and I could feel my shoulders crunched up and my body kind of collapsed and compressed. And I thought, you know, why am I, why am I frightened of? And so it was almost as if the trees had started to give me a permission of saying, well, you know, you're a woman. Enjoy. Celebrate. Understand what that is. Relax. And so there were many ways in which nature started to signal for me my own relationship to my own body sense that was new information. I didn't know that I felt that way. And as I began to practice there more and more and got a sense of uh, being able to work with what was arising and felt the layers of fear and the self-view that was underneath that and some of the conditioning that supported this kind of compacted, contracted, frightened um, sense of myself, then as I began to relax, I also began to notice how much I had been living with fear. And I wasn't aware of it. It was so much the normal thing about just the way I did everything that I couldn't even have any contrast to register that it was there. And as I was living in the bush and I began to relax more, deeply relax more, and as I began to feel more all of the views and opinions and ideas that I had about my own body, and they began to soften, and I began to feel more comfortable in my own skin, I also was able to allow into awareness things that I had no idea were there. So not only was there fear that was like stratified, like layers of an archaeological compress, but there was also anger and there was also sadness and there was also self-doubt, self-loathing and self-hatred. And I walked around with a bright smile at my face and felt, you know, comfortable and confident in, in the way I related to the world. And I had no idea, absolutely no idea, that underneath this bright smile were all of these other things that were actually driving a lot of what I said and did and how I lived my life. And in fact, when I looked at it from this perspective, from very relaxed perspective, I could see that a lot of the things that appeared to be very courageous were in fact driven by fear. So as I 
was able to feel the body and learn to relax the body and able to rest awareness in the body, not only was I able to allow into awareness a whole huge part of my own personal experience, which I'd never known before, but then I began to have a whole different sense in my relationship with my body as opposed to other people's bodies. So my whole sense of practice started to shift as attention stopped differentiating between me and other, and then rest more in a, just a sense of nature itself. And as that happened in me, as that was my experience, then as the internal boundary was softening in this way, from a relaxed resting and awareness, then the heart and the experience of being connected also began to open up in a way that I hadn't never experienced before. So when I first got to Australia, I felt a little bit like a lump in nature. And after a little while, it felt to me like nature was friendly. So I was in a friendly environment. And then it got to be a feeling like, well, I was part, this was my family. You know, so the creatures, I got to know them. And, you know, they would come and they would drink out of this water bowl. And they were part of my family. The trees, they became part of my family. But it was still me with my family. And then after all of this started to open up and shift, it was no longer me in nature, but just nature. Just nature, just nature that was arising. And as nature was just arising in this way, what it allowed was all of the stuff that I hadn't allowed in the past to emerge and to respond to it in a compassion and kindness that I hadn't had the access to my resources for before. So what this experience imprinted in me was both the sense that I had spent 20 years of my life practicing and I wasn't that connected to my body, you know? Even though body awareness and body scanning and body meditations and walking meditations was one of the things that we did, I was actually not present with it while we were doing it. And so this experience opened up a whole other level of being embodied and the results, the fruition and the sense of ease and the sense of relaxation that came when all the stuff that had been kind of compressed and stored and stashed was then excavated, not deliberately, but just because the mechanisms of pushing it down were no longer operating. It naturally arose into surface and then it could be known for what it was and then released. From that experience, then I began to see an incredible, powerful tool in the way that we can learn to understand and rest attention in our body sense as a way of developing a signal or a way of responding to the world. So one of the things that we know about is the Four Noble Truths, is a fundamental teachings within the Buddhist tradition. And within the forest tradition, it's one of the key teachings. So that is like a pivotal point around which many of the other teachings revolve. It's working with the Four Noble Truths. Where is their suffering? And what is the cause of suffering? And where is the cessation of suffering? And how does one cultivate the path that supports the cessation of suffering? So when we're looking at suffering, we can experience suffering as a physical experience. We can experience it as a mental experience. And when we experience it as a mental experience, often what happens is we get tangled up in the concepts around the story. 
And when we are working from a body experience, then what happens is we shift our frame of reference so that we're able to allow our attention to dwell, to rest, to suffuse in awareness of the body. And that is the place where we anchor all the mental suffering that we are experiencing. So when I was opening up fear and opening up sadness and opening up anger, my attention would move from the mental experience of this into the physical correlate of how I knew I was experiencing these things. And together, these two allowed the mind to open, to know what was arising, and to allow it to release. So practicing the Four Noble Truths as an embodied experience, to me, had a different result than when I'd been practicing it before. And the result was one of ease and well-being in a different level that I had understood before. So insight was something that I had some contact with from the very early days of the practice. And I could see the potency of the teachings as being absolutely true. And I could see that the result of the teachings led to freedom. But what this did was then bridge a gap where this insight, which was genuine, was then able to move through more of who I took myself to be and more of my experience that the meditation practice, just sitting in solitude and working with the breath and awareness and feelings as a more conceptual experience, didn't touch. So... For me, this is like, wow, you know, it's been a real, uh, it's a light, you know, it's like a real signal. And one of the reasons why it's been so helpful is because it's inevitable on a retreat or at the end of a retreat or in the course of questions, people ask, well, how do I know? How do I know what to do? You know, I know Buddhism and meditation is important about bringing skill to the conditions that we have. And I know that you can work with it in different ways and you can change frames of reference and you can focus your attention here or focus there or you can work with the hindrances. Or you can just open your attention and, and allow attention to rest in awareness itself. Where you're actually not focusing on trying to change the conditions themselves, but bringing a sense, a wide open sense of what's actually arising and an, an open-hearted presence to the whole thing without any desire or interest to change it at all. And it's often the case that the question is, how do I know what to do? You know, what is the right thing in any particular moment? And it's an important question. But you see, our question is often coming from wanting to have a conceptual framework around it a map that we can place ourselves in and judge. And what my experience with the body is, is that it gives you a somatic sensing, a somatic signaling of when you're moving in the right direction and when you're not. Because when you are into, when awareness is suffused with the body and you make the correct choice, your body relaxes. And when it doesn't, it tightens and it, it gets tense and your ability to stay present with what's happening diminishes. So in this way, the body sensing is not only a kind of way of bringing attention to some objects, but it's a, a kind of a background signaling that supports our entire practice. Now one of the reasons why this is really helpful is because the body doesn't have a past and a future, and it doesn't proliferate, and it doesn't have a, it doesn't have a politic. 
So the body, the body is not trying to impress people. That's our concepts and our thinking. It's trying to impress people and trying. So it's often the case we're in situations where we feel one thing, but we say something different because the social situation is such that it's not actually possible to say exactly what we feel. And that's suitable. That's correct. That's what being socialized and having family and having culture is like. But it can get very confusing because it can get so subtle that we actually lose contact with what is actually driving the show. You know, is it the wanting to impress? Is it the honesty? What is actually motivating in any particular situation? When we change our frame of reference and allow our body to be the thing that signals then we are, have a basis that actually is not confused because the body doesn't have a politic. It doesn't operate that way. And when we learn to live in relationship with our body in this way, with this kind of way, then we get information that then discernment can pick up and use according to what's appropriate with our social situation. So we have a baseline that we can trust and then use it accordingly rather than have a concept that can be very deceptive and confusing that we then don't know where we stand. So for me, it's been helpful because what it has supported is an intuition about what is appropriate in any situation, depending on how I feel. So the body sense, the sense of ease and well-being, is a really important signal to learn to cultivate. And this supports right action. It supports right speech. We have a sense when we are living with right livelihood, what it feels like. And when we're not living with right livelihood, what that feels like. So what we have then is a kind of tuning fork when we're on the path and we're not on the path that is actually something we can learn to read, listen to, and respond to by developing the sense of bringing awareness into our body. <coughs> now, we come from a culture that has all kinds of New Age ideas and all kinds of other ideas, and people have a very basic, ingrained opinion that if we're experiencing pain, something is wrong. <coughs> and that's cultural, all right? Not everybody has that. And in America, it's really big. <laughs> So one has to understand that when we're working with the body, we have to come into the right relationship with the body. And the right relationship with the body is, is that sometimes it doesn't feel good, and that's all right. And the fact that it doesn't feel good doesn't mean that I'm practicing wrong, or that the decisions that I've made are wrong, or that I'm making the wrong choices. It just means that that's actually what's happening in the body. So in order for this to work, one actually needs to come into a right relationship with the body. And that is not a small thing, but it's a very worthwhile thing. So we have all kinds of opinions about pain and sickness and the fact that it's not really supposed to happen if we're doing the right things. You know? And we have to look at our belief systems and question them because they actually are not supportive of our own health and well-being. Obviously, we can make choices, and the choices that we make are going to have an impact on how we feel. And they're going to have an impact on our moods and our emotions and our health. So it's not as if we can divest our responsibility, but it also doesn't mean that when we aren't feeling well or when 
when there is pain, that we are entirely responsible, that it is the result of having made bad choices. So discernment is needed in order to figure out the difference between uh, unpleasant feeling in the body, which comes as a result of the body just doing what it naturally does, an unpleasant feeling in the body coming as the result of the body signaling that actually one is moving against or across what is actually in one's best interest. And that takes a little bit of discernment. But my own personal experience for my own personal result is, is, is that as I've been able to differentiate between these, then what I have is a signaling mechanism that is actually more powerful than my conceptual frameworks. Because it's absolutely accurate. It doesn't lie. And it doesn't deceive me. It doesn't have the ability to deceive me. I can get mixed up about my interpretation, but it doesn't deceive. And for me, that's just incredible valuable. So my whole practice has opened up in a different way when I learned to be in relationship with the body in another way, where I actually was fundamental, rather than kind of like a, a dead carcass I was dragging behind me. You know, in order to, you know, I drag my body to the retreats and I drag my body to the meditation, you know. And so, you know, it's a different sense. And my own internal sense is a sense of much more of a sense of relaxation. So, you know, in the same way that, you know, most of us wouldn't want to live in the doghouse. Yeah. But when we actually look at it, that's actually the way we relate to our bodies. And so when we live with our bodies, you know, living in a temple is beautiful. You can see how exquisite the grounds are here and the peaceful atmosphere that this place generates and creates. So when we live in relationship with our bodies as if we are living in a temple where what we are experiencing is an opportunity for the heart to open in terms of truth and understanding, then what is created is an environment where it's easier to relax and rest in. Obviously, it takes a little bit of time and some practice, but it's worthwhile making the effort. So I just wanted to share these reflections as a part of our day today, and we'll have a meal together, and then later in this afternoon, there'll be a time for discussion. So whatever I share that stimulates your own internal responses, again, the the, the request or the the... the, the the invitation is to allow your attention to rest in your own body sense when you're listening to a Dhamma talk and allow your body to signal for you when what you hear is in resonance with your own deepest understanding, as well as to signal when it, it's not, it doesn't fit. And likewise, when I, I said at the beginning, you know, if there's ever a time when I'm speaking where what I'm talking about actually goes against your deepest understanding, don't just let it go. This is too important of a situation to ignore those signals. So find a way to come back to me and talk. And so I will leave this reflection here and hope that we will have a time or invite a time later when we can we can open it up again and, and share. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.